uh, just in case you see me or hear me coughing or stop for a second to, I don't know, do some throat stuff, uh, please forgive me in advance because I'm having some strange throat stuff. Anyway, yes. So we are in, uh, and I don't have to... We are in Colossians, as you, some of you know. Um, so before we do anything, let me just read today's text, and then uh, we'll see where we go from there. So this is Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Paul said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, This is continuing uh, directly from last Sunday. As you see, the first word there is therefore. We had a quite wonderful show when uh, Christian had a pleasant surprise of having to preach about circumcision to the kids who were present right here. So that was fun. Um, But let me make a short summary, actually, three points of what Paul said just before this paragraph or this passage. So he said one thing, number one. He taught the Colossians that if you are baptized, you're confessing your, um, you're expressing your faith in Christ. When you do that, you're dying and you're resurrected with Jesus. When you're raised from the water, you're raised as a new person. That's one thing. Then, as a new person, as new people, number two, we are forgiven of all our sins. The sins we will commit in 20 years are forgiven. And not just that, but the law has no more power over us. Christ so fully satisfied the requirements, just requirements of the law, that now we are freed from that curse because it was a curse. 
And finally, number three, as Christians, a Christian displayed it to us last week, the demonic powers are put to shame. They wanted, they, they, their purpose was to make us constantly feel guilty and enslaved by our own sin and by the effects and results of our sin. But through Christ, through his resurrection, he put to shame the demonic powers. Now, knowing all that, so the therefore is that, knowing all that, the question we're trying to answer tonight and the question we should answer every single day is, how do I as a Christian live that, live that life? Sorry, live that life out. How do I behave? How do I think? How do I feel? What do I like if I'm a new person, I'm completely forgiven, and nor sin, nor law, nor the devil have dominion over my heart? How do I live that life? What does that look like? And so in today's paragraph... As I studied it, Paul draws out five practical observations of how to live this life in, the li- in light of that. And those will be my five points of the sermon, if you will. So, let's start with number one. These are the five points. We're going to talk about food and drink, angels and asceticism, the head, what that is, who that is, rules and regulations, and finally, value. So number one, food and drink. So just look at verse one. It says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. The point is this. The consumption of food and drink is in itself not a basis on which we decide, either individually as a, or as a church, a person's standing with God. God does not judge people according to how they smell, what they wear, what they eat, what they drink. Right? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, strangely enough. John 2, 24. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. These, these were people crowding around him because either he would be feeding them or healing them or... But there were among them different people to whom he did not entrust himself. Namely, they could see and hear everything he said and done. They couldn't understand what or rather who he was. He did not open their hearts through his spirit to understand who he is, right? What does that mean? He didn't judge them by what they were doing, by what they were saying, what they were wearing, whether they were high status, profile, whatever. No, he knew what was in man. He knew all people, right? That's the case here as well. But let me just step back one second and say something which I don't want you to understand that I'm saying. So I said that consumption of food and drink is in itself not a basis for a person standing with God. Please don't hear me saying 
that if you're a drunkard and your heart is fine, then it's fine. If you're a drunkard, you're not fine and you need help. Right? I'm not saying that, just to have that clear. And then the drunker part can be replaced by different other things, right? Good. Now, let's go to First Samuel to see this just one more time. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on, the, on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, right? It's the same, same methodology, if you will. God knows everything about us. Whatever judgment God makes about us is a fair judgment because he has all the information about us. In other words, he knows us, not even regarding what we eat or what we drink. Now, to be sure, coming back to Paul and Colossae, Colossae, To be sure, Paul had problems with the churches and with food and drink. Let me just read to you a couple of passages. 1 Corinthians 11, 17, 22. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So just imagine a church coming together in the name of Christ. It's not for the better of those who are present, but it's for the worse of them. How horrible is that? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper Day. It's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Right? One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? So just as Jesus tells the Pharisees so many times, seeing you do not see, hearing you do not hear, Paul says you're eating, but you're not eating in a proper way. You're drinking, but you're not drinking in a proper way. So there's a way of doing that, and you're not doing it. And then he says, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? And then surprisingly he says, I will not. So that's about food. How about drinking? Romans 14, 1 to 8. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days 
alike. Each one should be fully convinced on, in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes in, in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives, gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The way to eat and the way to drink and the way to observe different things is for the glory of God. You do not eat and you do not Sorry, you do not eat properly and you do not drink properly and do not keep different things that you keep if you don't do it for the honor and the glory of God. Paul said it very clearly. Whether you eat or you drink, do it for the glory of God. Somebody said in a book, how do you drink orange juice to the glory of God? Well, God made you, God made the juice, God made, the, God made everything, Right? Give thanks to God and honor God, whatever you do, right? For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So if these two big extremes, living and dying, are for the glory of God, then how much more is eating and drinking? So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So Paul's approach to the abuses in the church was not to tell the churches and teach the churches, don't eat, don't drink. He said, I do not commend you. That's not the point. It does not solve the issue. Don't eat, don't drink. It was always to forbid what destroyed God's temple and people's faith in God. Again, Paul said, whether you eat or do you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So that's where Paul goes to. Don't forget the therefore at the beginning of the passage, right? Verse 16, 216. Therefore, that stands for all the theology that he teached before, taught before, sorry. Which means if you're a new person, if you're forgiven, if you have died and were have been resurrected with Christ. If demons and law and legalism has no power on you, then if you eat or you drink, do it for the honor and glory of God because you can. Because you're indwelled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, not with wine, right? That's what it is. That's what it means. Put to death the deeds of the body. How? By the Spirit. What's the deed of what's a deed of the body? Get drunk with wine. But if you're drunk with the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Then Jesus says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. That's, this defiles a person. Jesus didn't teach, eat, drink, don't eat, don't drink. Pay, te- pay careful attention to your heart. That's the whole point. Somebody said, Paul taught, 
about this. Paul taught the principle of love but did not determine the application of it by regulations in matters of food and drink. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of which is what? Love. Well, eat and drink properly in order to be able to leave to love people. No, he didn't teach that. Love people from a sincere heart, he said. So if you want a practical principle for this point, point number one is this. The problem is not what we eat or what we drink. The problem is our heart. Or let me put it in a question form. What or who do you love more than Jesus? What or who receives glory from you every day rather than Jesus? Point number two. How do I live my life with regards to angels and asceticism? Verse 18 says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels. I hope you're wondering, what's with that word disqualify? Disqualify from what? It's not a... It's not a theological term. It's a, it's, a, it's a sport world term. Disqualify. Disqualify from what, first of all? Well, disqualifying from running your race. Disqualifying from fighting your fight. Or disqualify from walking your path. Which means that self-abasement and the worship of angels... If, it, if those two disqualify you, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Because they're replacing Jesus. Man-made religion, right? Self-abasement and worship of angels, which is blasphemy, take you completely to the other side from Jesus. Now, the false teaching in Colossae, the church, was twofold. They called for the worship of angels and for ascetic, ascetic regulations if you wanted to be part of the church. Right? Eat that, don't eat that, drink that, don't drink that. Worship angels. Both of those were imposed as requirements. But, but Paul denounces both of those. Their theology is wrong because the fullness of deity or the fullness of God dwells where? In Christ. He said it in two ways in this chapter. First, 9 and 10, he says, in him, in Christ, the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then in 19... Holding fast to the same head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. We're not connected to Christ. This is probably, I think, the most important thing I will say all night. 
We're not connected to Christ through angels. We're not connected to Christ through self-made or man-made religion. We're connected to Christ through the Holy Spirit who he gave or sent. Right? We are, he's divine and we are the branches. Right? And the one calling that he gives is come and eat, come and drink if you want to grow as a church. And there's another thing. The ascetic regulations or the self-abasement, man-made religion as it's in the text, only leads to pride. Well, I... (laughs) I eat more than he does, or I eat less than he, well, in this case, less. I eat less than he does. I'm closer to God. That's how it went, right? The more you beat up your body with different things, the more or the closer you got to God in that context. That's what they were teaching. Now, I don't know about you, I read a lot of philosophy books. Not one philosophy book says, yes, all individual members of the Church of Christ should gather together and grow by being united to Christ. Not one book says that. Not one philosophical theory. Not one school of philosophy says that. Never, ever, nowhere. The philosophies and traditions of the world don't teach the unification of the body of Christ. That's why earlier Paul said, do not be kidnapped in your mind, right? Robbed by philosophies and traditions of this world. And the ascetic regulations and the worship of angels is part of that philosophy. It's man-made. Let me show you a picture. Man-made religion puffs you up. That's what the text says, puffed up, right? Now, when you're puffed up, because of your size, people don't get to you, don't get to the center, right? No matter how much you try to bump into each other, you never get to the person inside of that ball. Never. It's exactly like man-made religion. It's not about the heart. It's not about the person. It's not about forgiveness and humility and love. It's about what you see. I'm better than you. And that's exactly what philosophies of the world teach. God is dead. Namely, I, the human, am alive to rule as a God. So, whenever you have the tendency, or whenever we, rather, have the tendency to feel that we're better, think of this image. It's fake, it's false. It has nothing to do with Christ. Number three, the head. Verse 19, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Now, the only hope for spiritual growth in koinonia is holding fast to Christ. 
who is the head of the body that is the church. Both individually and communally. If you, if you never hunger and if you never thirst, you never eat and you never drink. And if you never drink and you never eat, eat you never grow. You know, fasting is a spiritual discipline, but fasting from the bread of life is satanic. The devil fights hard to keep us from the word of God. I wrote on the group, if you remember last week, if you were in the WhatsApp group and whatever, as you come to him, Peter says, as you come to him, you are being built up as a spiritual house. As you come to him, you, the church, you, the individuals, as you come to him, you grow. The coming there, that coming, is a hunger. Whenever I go to the refrigerator, I go because I'm hungry. When I pick up the bread, I pick it up so that I can make a sandwich and eat, not play with the bread or take up the bread and throw it away. Just, just do a, um, an, an imagination exercise with me. So imagine Jesus as a magnet. He's, a, he's the biggest, most powerful magnet in the world. And when he starts manifesting his powers towards the small pieces of metal that he came to, to grab, these parts come, start coming to him. And when, as they come, those pieces of metal are sticking to Jesus, the magnet. But he's invisible, right? And those small pieces of metal, as they, as they stick to the magnet, as they stick to the form, as they stick to, the, to Jesus, they're giving him shape. You're starting to see him. And that's the church. That's the body. We are the body of Christ. Right? It says there, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. It grows. If we're not knit together, as he says later, in love, right? You don't grow. We don't grow as a church if we're not knit, knit together in Christ. Knitting is bringing together threads that hang on each other and build on each other, right? Or like, like pieces of metal that stick together and give shape to a big magnet that is invisible and powerful. So the question that for this point is, are you coming to Jesus daily? Are you hungering and eating at the same time, right? Jesus is not saying just hunger like a crazy person, just hunger. No, he says, if you're hungry, come and eat, right? There's no asceticism when you talk about Jesus as the bread of life. No, just come and feast on me. That's why Paul says, when you come together, you don't eat the body of Christ. You're eating something else. But come and eat Christ, 
You know, when Christ said in John 6, if I remember correctly, he said, uh, if you don't eat my body, if you don't eat my flesh and you don't drink my blood, you, you don't have any part of me or in me. And the next, that, the next thing that came out of the Jew's mouth was, oh, this is a teaching way too difficult and heavy for us to, to accept. It is, but we need to eat of Jesus. Otherwise, we're not of his sheep. Number four. Rules and regulations. Verse 20 to 22. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? Why? That's one of the most crucial questions in this, cha- in this chapter. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish and are as they are used according to the human precepts and teaching. The point, actually this is the shortest point, The implication here is this. A church that imposes regulations about food and drink and drinking as a means of judging and establishing or disqualifying people is a church that didn't understand what it means to die with Christ. Somebody said about this problem. Wherever authentic, joyful confidence in Christ diminishes, regulations are brought in to preserve what the power of Christ once created. If you erect enough regulations, an institution can endure for decades after the spiritual dynamic that brought it into existence is gone. Don't replace the power of the Spirit with man-made regulations. It doesn't work. It won't work. That's not Christ's church. The unity, the love, the joy, the peace, the growth in the body of Christ cannot be brought about by rules and regulations and they cannot maintain it. If we as a church, if we as Koinonia kept on saying, you know, if you want to come to church and be part of our family and want to be loved by us, stop eating chocolate. It sounds absurd and funny, but that's, that's, how they, that's how it went, as absurd as that is. That's how they understood it. Understanding Christ without the Spirit. They created a different Christ. No, the only way is to be born again, to die with Christ and be raised with Christ. What a celebration it was when Lily went into the water. And you know why it was even a greater celebration? Because she understood that she has died with him. And when she was raised, she was raised with him. Legalism, demonic powers and all that don't have power over her. What should we do to live like that? There is a song, I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) You don't want me singing songs. But the song goes, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. That's That's what washed us. 
and again. Jesus calls us to one thing. Eat and drink of him. But, and that's number five, but. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I said it before, the only way, the only way to live the Christian life, the only way to put to death the deeds of the body, as Paul says in Romans, is by dying to the flesh. And in the, in the armor of God, what's the one weapon that kills? It's the sword. And what is the sword? The word of God. When Jesus calls us to eat, what does he call us to eat of? His word. Probably the least known verse in the Old Testament. Your word was found and I ate it. That's a projection to Jesus. Who is Jesus? The word of God. Question, when do you die to the flesh? When? When you die to the flesh, when you live to Christ. You die to the flesh when you don't grant the flesh its desires. When we're born again, we get new desires. And there's that war that Paul talks about, right? The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I need to do or I want to do, I don't do. But when we're made new creations, we're given new values. And let me finish or close with a question. Simple question. I think I asked this question in the Bible study hundreds of times. What is, so introduction to the question, it's necessary. Since the last point was called value, and it is suggested in the verse that the value, the greatest value in your life makes you do things, right? It says, but they are of no value in stopping indulgence of the flesh, right? The thing that you hold closest, the thing you love most, the biggest, highest treasure makes you do things. If my highest treasure is my family, whatever I do on this earth, I will do for my family or my cat, which people do. But the question is, what is the greatest value in your life and what does it make you do? If the greatest value in my life draws me to Christ, helps me hold fast to the head, helps me grow, feeds me in such a way that I can maybe even feed others by teaching or shining the glory of Christ, 
then I'm feeding on Christ. He is my highest treasure. If my highest treasure is something else, even something perfect and good on this earth, it will take me away from Christ. I will not grow. I will not feed others. And I will not honor and glorify him. So what's our value? Is it man-made religion, rules and regulations, asceticism, worship of angels, or is it simply Christ, the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, here we stand together tonight to say, Lord, it is you whom we love. You loved us first, and that's why we're here. But Lord, we love you. We love your word. We love singing about you. We love listening to you in your word. We love speaking to you in prayer. And we love one another. Lord, I pray that we would not be um, stolen away by the philosophies of the world. But I pray that we would stand fast on your word and on the rock that is Christ. That is you, Lord Jesus. Help us live a life that is honoring and glorifying you, not ourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.